Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Sam, Marcy, Sarah, and Kim, and we are four women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. Releasing the shame around your struggles is hard work, especially if you feel alone. And so we wanted to create this podcast as a way to unite women of all ages, from all locations, all sizes and shapes, and really just want to invite you to sit at our table. Come as you are. Health and fitness is for everybody. And we're here to remind you that you belong, you matter, you are brave, you are capable, you are deserving of success. Maybe right now you don't truly believe those things, and that's okay. When we first got started, we didn't either. But we promise that each episode, we will show up vulnerably. We want you to realize your potential and the truth of who you really are. We will help you step into success and acknowledge that the power already lies within you. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, review and rate it on iTunes. Tag us in your stories on Instagram. Send this to your friends. Please, please, please just tell everyone about it. We are determined to have the biggest and the most inclusive community of women sitting at the picnic table together. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Decades of Strength. This is Marcy. I will be hosting the call today. So yeah, the last time we were all together was in San Diego in March, where this podcast wasn't even, well, it was kind of a thing because Sam and Kim, you guys were doing it, but Sarah and I were not a part of it yet. So this is very exciting. This iteration was not even a twinkle in our eyes. No. Look at it now. We're full on twinkling, shining, (laughs) like Four bright little podcasting stars. Marcy, you should take us back. Yeah. Yeah. So, Marcy. Speaking of weird topics, we actually have a a different one in store for you guys today, which I am really excited about. And the the idea for this episode came about a couple of weeks ago when we recording were recording one of our other ones where I had told a story about some of the food rules that my mom had put in place for me when I was a kid. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, you know, that's so crazy. Like I had this food rule, I had that food rule, and we thought it would be fun to record a podcast all about that and then also poll some of our followers on Facebook to see what some of their food rules were growing up. And the uh, the responses that i got were i would say entertaining but also a little discouraging might be the best word because i really see how the rules that we had in place for us when we were kids are still present today so i think that would be something really interesting to talk about not only for how it affects our clients but also perhaps how it still affects us in in our adulthood. So Kim, let's, I, I would actually like to hear your perspective, not only from what the food rules that you had growing up, but any that you have for your kids today. Ooh, yeah, that's good. Okay. Just sure. So the one that I remember the most growing up, and it's the most common one that we all heard from um, people when we were polling them, some version of this. Um, my dad always used to say this. He's like, you asked for it, you got it, you eat it. 
So if you put it on your plate, especially if we were out and he paid for it, you had to eat it. Like that's it. Doesn't matter if you're hungry, you had to eat it. And he would say it over and over and over again. So, you know, I definitely grew up with that drilled into me. You do not waste food. So that was the big one. Interesting you ask about my own kids. I am very conscious to not do that. Um, my husband and I actually have a disagreement about this. He thinks that the clean plate club is cool. Like he cleans his plate and he would prefer that the kids clean theirs. And so he doesn't demand it of them, but he'll be like, look, I cleaned my plate. Did you guys clean your plate? And so I will then remind, and it's always like in good fun. We're not like having a, a knockdown drag out fight or anything, but I'll say like, you don't have to clear your plate. I don't clear my plate. I just kind of wait and see like, am I hungry or am I not? Um, so yeah, clean plate club is always <laughs> a big one. Um, and I don't really have food rules. I kind of make a, I try not to have rules about food. Um, yeah, I talk a lot with my kids. I talk out loud a lot about my relationship with food and how I'm doing it. Like, yeah, I'm not really hungry, so I'm not going to eat this donut, even though like we bought donuts and I was excited to eat donuts, but now I'm not hungry, so I'm not going to eat the donut. So that kind of stuff, like I talk to them about how I'm thinking internally about food, but I just don't want to have rules about food um, because I worry where that will lead them. I kind of like them to kind of develop their own feelings and thoughts and attitudes about food. And I try and model what I would like to see from them. Mm, I love that. Yeah. That's a really good well, approach. It's interesting. So I think we can all agree that the most common response that we got was the, the clean plate club, or you mm -hmm. have to finish everything that you were served. And I don't really think that was a rule for me. I only remember it happening one time uh, over the summer when we were down at our beach house and I was at some random person's house down the street. I don't even remember who these people were. Um, and I feel like my mom was there for whatever reason. I was having lunch and they served this like weird beef stew, which I just did not like. And I remember having to sit there for at least an hour. She's like, you cannot leave until you finish that. And that's really the only time that I remember her or my dad, uh, he never really said it either, telling me that I had to eat everything on my plate. But what's so interesting about it is if you watch a little kid, they are so in tune with their hunger and fullness signals. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, like for me now, uh, I kind of joke about this, but it's actually not very funny. <laughs> I feel like I have no satiety mechanism where I'm just the bottomless pit and I could eat and eat and eat and never feel like, oh, I'm just so full. I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but like a normal amount of food, I don't get super full from it. So it's almost like I have to very consciously tell myself like, okay, you've had enough. Um, and I think kids are really good at doing that. So when we force them to eat more than they are comfortable with or past their point of satiety, fullness, enjoyment, you know, it really sends mixed messages. So I'm curious if that is where a lot of people struggle with or struggle. That's why a lot of people continue to struggle with overeating in adulthood. Mm. Marcy, a question on that. Do you think, you know, because obviously you've been doing this like healing nutrition protocol thing. So you've been like living to meal plans and stuff. Do you think that you don't ever feel fully satisfied from like your meals because it's so kind of like stripped back and they're quite kind of 
small. Like I'd be quite um, interested here. Oh, it's so, you know, it's really funny you say that because I think I have a really good relationship with food overall. You know, I've, I've been on meal plans in the past and I did fine with that. I never really felt deprived because for the most part, I liked the food that I was eating and I was able to make substitutions. Mm -hmm. So that was the first online coach that I've ever worked with. And I really feel like he kind of healed my relationship with food because before that I was very much in the, the black and white way of thinking of, you know, foods are good or bad. They're clean, they're unclean. And so I basically lived on, you know, like egg whites, vegetables, oatmeal, protein powder, and just fake sugar. So, mm-hmm. and like <laughs> packs of gum, right? To, packs, packs of gum to satisfy yeah. my cravings and my hunger for five calories. Um, but, but yeah, so when I started working with him, which was probably in 2009, he did put me on a meal plan, but it was the first time that I had a lot of carbs in my diet and we were allowed to eat any type of low fat carbohydrate post-workout. So I would get Froyo, I would have cereal and candy. And that was the leanest I've ever been, I would say. Um, And so that really allowed me to see, oh, wow, I can eat what I want, enjoy my food and still get results. And then moving on from that, I went more towards the flexible dieting and counting my own macros and all that. And, And so I always felt satisfied by my food. I just never felt like overly full, if that makes sense. Um, But I'm not the type of person who after dinner at night, even if I'm like, oh, I could still eat more, I won't go and scour the pantry or, or, you know, the refrigerator looking for my fix. Like I'm very good at just saying, okay, you know, I've had enough. I've hit my goals for the day. Like I'm done. Um, Even if I'm not, even if I feel like I could eat more, I have a good... I guess, self-regulation or self-monitoring system of just stopping. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the, you know, the thing that I'm doing now, yes, I'm on a meal plan and I was so sick and full. Like the first time I've like really been full, I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe my relationship with food in that sense is going to change doing this meal plan. And I think it was just the supplements that I was taking and like it was, I had to eat like every hour and a half, every two hours. So for a while I was really full and now that I've moved past that phase and I've really like healed my gut, kind of got the bad bacteria out of there, uh, I'm still having to eat pretty much like every two, two and a half hours and I'm hungry all the time and not really satisfied because the meals are so small. So that's been hard because now it's like I am thinking about food a lot more because I have to like, Oh, what do I have to eat now? I've got to like, I've got to go shopping. I've got to do the prep and all that. So it's like food is constantly on my mind. So that's a interesting question. Yeah. That's crazy. It's funny. Like the more I do find the more you like have to like the more meals and stuff you think have to have in a day, the more you kind of obviously have to think about it. And I think for people that struggle with like, you know food relationship whatever the less you have to actually think about food um the better really for just trying to get you out of that whole mindset and so to clear up the mind to actually focus on other things in life because I certainly know when I was in the you know height of my food obsession I literally I'd say there was probably only about 10 minutes in a day when I didn't actually think about food and it was probably like 
just before I was about to fall asleep. The rest of the day was just, uh, I'd finish one thing and then I'd be like, oh, what, like, what am I going to have? Like, it was just, <laughs> it was exhausting. And it's just yeah. like, I felt like- I'm even like, done with the meal and you're already thinking about yeah. your- Oh my God, yeah. completely. Like you're just putting the last mouthful in and you're already like, okay, so what, like, what, what, when can I, like, it was just, it was just exhausting. Yeah. So do you, do you think that was because you were so food focused being in that, you know, prep mode, prep mindset all the time? Yes. Or going back, like, because I know that there are a lot of families, I've heard this from people who they have breakfast and then as they're eating breakfast, the family's going to ask, okay, well, what are we going to do for lunch? Or as they're eating lunch, well, what do you want to do for dinner? You know, so. So for me, um, so my kind of food rules, we were actually, we didn't really have any as kids, like as in we were never told to clear our plates. We always just ate to hunger. The only kind of stuff that we had was more like, um, on if we were having sweets we had a limit of five sweets a day out of like a sweet box that we had in the house so like my parents were pretty you know n- not kind of saying that kind of stuff so I think I my relationship with food growing up has was always like you know pretty good but so it that's what caught me off guard is when I went into the home competing thing because I went from having a really good relationship with food into completely and utterly screwing myself over from going through this kind of extreme dieting for, you know, not only through comp prep, but then coming out the other side of it, wanting to stay lean and, you know, becoming food obsessed and developing, you know, binge eating tendencies and all the rest of it. And I was kind of astounded that, you know, a 20 week prep essentially is where it all kicked off could undo essentially like 29 30 years of you know me always having had a good relationship with kind of food so it was kind of crazy for me that that's kind of how how it all unfolded and then but I knew when I was getting to kind of breaking point with it all, I kind of, cause I kept remembering back to how I was pre all of this. And I was like, wow, things were, things were a lot simpler when I wasn't like, you know, focusing on all of this stuff all of the time. So I kind of, that was one of the big things that made me, me kind of decide I had to kind of get back to where I was before with it all. Um, cause it was just, it was exhausting and very unhealthy. Like it just ruled my life. that's one of the hardest things to do in my opinion is to reverse that yeah I'm still doing that yeah it's it's absolutely insane but I mean I see I see the whole food rule thing with my clients a lot like definitely I'd say 99% of clients that come to me have are just so out of tune with their hunger signals like they just they literally don't know I remember one client having a complete breakdown the, 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 when he felt for the first time hunger pangs in his stomach because he had never focused in on them he actually just started like crying because he was mm. so confused about what this feeling was like mm. that disconnected it was insane um <clears throat> but yeah just you know I see the food rules that people have had inflicted and how they've carried them into adulthood um and you can see the impact that it is that it has had on people 
Um, so that's why I was liking Kim's kind of approach to everything. Um, Sam, what rules did you have? I don't think that I really had any specific food rules. I did come, like I'm from an Italian family. Um, and so... I not know that for some reason. Altieri. Yeah. I don't know. I'm from lots an Italian of, family too, Sam. Yeah. Lots of pasta. Yeah. Um, and my the my mom's side of the family is just comes from like just a lot of obesity and over overweightness and just not being in tune with their hunger Mm -hmm. so all meals that we would spend together which were like the big holidays um i just remember and this actually still happens but my aunts eating to the point of fullness being so full that they telling us like, Oh my God, I'm so full. Like it hurts. And then they would get another serving of food. Oh my God. So I hadn't like my, my mom and dad didn't like eat like that. And so being at the table, I was, I was always confused. Mm. Like, am I supposed to just keep going? Like, does this stop? Do I just try to fill up as much as I can until it comes up to here? Um, you know, like up in my neck. And so in a way that almost encouraged like, a, like, let's see how much food I can eat. Cause yeah. why not? And it was like always this sense of like, well, like the just in case I get hungry later mentality. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge thing. I think for me is my parents never really told me I couldn't have anything. I ate a lot of shit growing up. Like snack drawers were full. Dunkaroos, fruit snacks, like Dunkaroos. buffalo, chicken. Like I used to bring a pack of Skittles to school each day and eat a pack of Skittles a day. I used to do that in high school. Yeah. Like we would go to Costco and buy the huge packs. Oh, you'd eat a big pack a day. A pack a day. Yeah, like I would- off your face. I, I mean, you know how much energy <laughs> I have now. It's like. Tossing 100 grams of sugar, I'm like, <laughs> that's so funny though. Because I, I ate a pack of Skittles every day in Spanish class my sophomore year, and then I would go for lunch to the frozen yogurt store down or you know, downtown. <laughs> and get this, like, huge, I mean, this thing was like the size of my head, and I would fill it with yogurt chips and chocolate sprinkles. But I chose those, I chose the Skittles, I chose the frozen yogurt because it was fat free. Wow. So, I mean, that, yeah, that phase, that phase that was okay because my mom told me, "Oh, if you want to lose weight, just you know, eat less fat." Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was probably, I was probably downing like five hundred grams of carbs a day, just you know. Yeah, you don't know, and that's the thing. I had no awareness of food. Like, oh. I didn't even know what a calorie was. I had no sense of that until late college. I really didn't. Yeah. Um, I just was so like, I always ate whatever I wanted and never, it never really like affected me. I wasn't an emotional eater then. I wasn't a binge eater then. Um, but I definitely had my fair share of being exposed to not good habits. Mm. Like let's see how much food we can eat in a sitting. And then let's also eat dessert. And then let's talk about our next meal and almost like, wow, we're just finishing from- yeah, like preventing hunger from ever happening. Like it was this scary epidemic. Mm-hmm. And it's something I recognize now when I go back home is my parents have that just in case mentality. Like it, not so much with food, but just in general, like, oh, in case like things blow up, we got to do this just in case or like, what? and I've always like pre 
had groceries at home just in case, like just in case what the grocery store runs out of food. Like I, <laughs> I still like, That's I'm still aware of that. Well, well hey, living in, living in California, when you live in California, uh, like right now, and there's all these earthquakes, you need food just in case. Yeah. I yeah. think it was shampoo. Didn't he buy loads of shampoo? Recently? Yes. He bought a 12 pack of shampoo. I'm like, dad, oh, I don't have any hair, dad. What are you doing? Is he bald? Like, yes. He has like, <laughs> like, pretty much, like, little thing hair. Like, dad, you don't even have any daughters that live at home. What the hell is like? Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> but I think that's, that, that Justin Please is probably my reason for always having snacks on me. Like I always felt like I had to have a protein bar in my backpack or I always felt like, well, I should eat now just in case I don't have a chance to eat later. And I've been trying to outgrow that and, and kind of recognize it. But it's it's hard when that's like what you've done your whole life, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I had so many mixed food messages when I was growing up that I don't really know what I have taken with me. So my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family operated very differently when it came to food. My dad is one of those people like he, I've never seen the man eat breakfast in my entire life. He will go all day without eating and, and he just works his ass off. So you know, when he was actually you know working like his corporate job or whatever, I think he would have lunch every day and then not eat anything else. Sometimes he would have, I would find like the randomest stuff in the garden. He would have like a little garbage can in his oh. car and I'd find like Vienna sausage cans. Oh, what the hell is a Vienna sausage can? You don't need to know. Don't, don't we'll show you. Next yeah. week. But like, you know, so he would sometimes have snacks and things like that. But, and now that he's retired, yeah, he will work his ass off in the yard or at home or, you know, he's playing golf, whatever, just always on the go and never stop to eat breakfast, never stop to eat lunch. Like he doesn't eat before or after a workout. Um, he will eat like peanut butter throughout the day, but that's pretty much it. And then he will have like one big meal at night. And what do you mean he eats peanut butter? He carries around a jar of peanut butter? No, like he'll come into the house. He'll okay. come into the house. And it's so funny. I go over there. Like I was over there today and he has all these empty peanut butter jars, like <laughs> scattered throughout the garage, scattered throughout the the house and he like fills them up with stuff like utilizes them for whatever it's like tools like cuts and bolts yeah oh my god anyway so like that's my and then but he will eat a lot at at one sitting you know at dinner or like at holidays you know he'll definitely eat a lot my mom i always thought that she had a decent relation no i should no she, i take that back she did not have a decent relationship with me <laughs> kind of been that chronic dieter and I think that comes from my grandmother who was very small growing up and image very image conscious so and I didn't like have a great relationship with my grandma because she was so strict and stern and she wasn't fun and going over there like the only dessert we would have was like vanilla ice cream and ginger snap cookies yet oh my god my same dad, Oh my gosh, my dad's side of the family, like you go over there and it's the, those uh, hostess, like mini donuts, candy bars, ice cream, all the sugary cereal. She's the one who would pour the half and half on our cereal. Oh my God. Uh, 
like a peanut butter sandwich was instead of jelly, it would be Jif peanut butter on one side, butter on the other side. Oh my God. Uh, these like freaking delicious. Yeah. Oh my God. It was amazing. And she weighed like 95 pounds. I think my grandmother actually had an eating disorder because she was like my dad. She would go all day without eating and just be on her feet all the time. Um, so yeah, being at my mom's side of the family's house, that was weird because they were very health conscious. They would kind of like graze all day. I mean, definitely like breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, maybe graze a little bit throughout, but yeah, much more health conscious. And then my mom, because my grandmother was so into looks um my mom was always on a diet and I remember her telling me she had gone to Europe after she graduated from high school and you know like went and lived it up and drank and ate bread and cheese and all that and she came back and the first thing my mom or my grandmother said to her rather than so great to see you did you have a great time it was what happened to you like you oh. sure got to oh. yeah oh. yeah so, so I think ever since that point, my mom was kind of always been on a diet and, uh, she would say to me things like a moment on your lips forever on your hips. Oh my gosh. But, oh. but that never really like registered with me. And I remember her saying many times, like she feels that she is the reason I developed an eating disorder. She's like, I feel like I damaged you. I'm like, no, you really didn't. Like for the most part you were you had a healthy mentality around food and I wasn't, well, I was restricted from white bread, sugary cereal and sugary gum. But other than that, I mean, I ate a whole lot of junk food. Like our thing was going to In-N-Out Burger or going to Jack in the Box or you know, yeah. donuts, that kind of thing. So um, I think she actually tried to make a conscious effort to not pass down those beliefs and I guess behaviors on me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't blame her for anything that, that happened into my adulthood. But the other thing, I saw her like sneak food a lot. So I'll never forget one time I came home and she was sitting at the desk with a box of brown sugar between her legs. Brown, <laughs> brown sugar? She eating it with a spoon. And Ew. then she saw me and she like threw it under the, the I'm like, I, yeah, I'm like, I saw what you were doing. And I would find like McDonald's bags in her car. It's like, I think my mom snuck food because she was ashamed of, of eating, like maybe in general or eating the food that she really wanted to because oh that had God. been looked down upon growing up. So yeah, it's, I did not had so many mixed messages and I'm not really sure whose wow. habits I've carried with me, if, if any, really. Yeah. yeah. That makes me think of my dad. So my dad is a chronic um, grazer and food picker. And I didn't recognize this until maybe like the past year where my mom was talking about ice cream and she's like, you know, I just pulled this, this carton of moose tracks out of the fridge and it looks like someone went in there with a fork and was like going at it. And so like, we're like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's a weird thing to say. And the day after I see my dad in the kitchen with a gallon of ice cream with a fork in it. And he's just, he's got the whole gallon. He's just eating it with the fork. And my mom's like, why are you using a fork with the ice cream? And he's like, Oh, I just wanted a little bit. And the next thing you know, half the gallon's gone. And a little bit. Like, I thought you just wanted a little bit. And he's like, Oh, well, oops. Mean meanwhile, like my dad weighs less than me. Like he's wicked petite. He's wow. like, 125 pounds like five foot seven super tiny 
but I've gotten so much of my like, oh, just one more bite. Oh, just one more bite. Just one more bite from him standing in the damn kitchen with the ice cream bowl, which is what I do. Um, like, oh, instead of putting it into a plate or a bowl, it's like just eating straight out of the container. And that is one of my worst habits. And that's- Oh my gosh. Like now that you said that, I do the same thing. Like that would probably be my worst food habit is me saying, okay, I'm only going to have a handful. And then next thing you know, half the bag is gone of of like, you know, and it's yes, ice cream, nuts, those chips, chips or banana chips, that kind of stuff. And it's interesting you say that because I noticed my dad would do the same thing. I never saw him put anything in a bowl, like ice cream or anything like that. It would always be the peanut butter is always out of the jar from the spoon. Um, the ice cream, same thing. That's really interesting. Yeah. I never connected the dots. Yeah. Um, and but- what you said about your mom and the brown sugar, uh-huh. I've caught my mom, not with brown sugar, but with other things in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why is she being sneaky about that? Like, is she, and I've, I never really like asked that. And I do, I did that in my past too. Like, especially binge eating, like you don't want anyone to come down in the middle of you, like shoving peanut butter in your face or whatever the hell you're eating, granola for me or something, you know, right? like really secretly opening the container mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like, I'm trying not to make yeah. So nobody knows you've been in there. Yes. Yes. You're like smoothing out. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. I would go to friends' houses and do that. Like, yeah, like they would be upstairs doing something. I would sneak down into their, <laughs> into their head different like, stuff. Go through their cupboards yes. and like, yes. shoot their, like their whipped cream into my mouth. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> because they had the good stuff. Like my friend, my one friend, she, and it was so frustrating because Uh, It was her, and then she had a younger brother, a younger sister, and they were so thin. They could eat whatever they wanted, and they ate complete crap. Like, you went over there, there was no protein. Everything was processed carbs. And so for me, it was like heaven, because I didn't really have that stuff at my house. But yeah, I would go over there and totally, like, sneak their food. Um, That's so embarrassing. That's like, so my best friend, Steph, her family didn't buy anything unhealthy, and my parents... Like they were like soda, mac and cheese, milk. Like we used to crush a two liter bottle of Pepsi, just her and I, like daily. It was disgusting. And then I remember one day my dad was like, all right, I'm implementing a rule. This is the only rule that we had ever established. And he's like, no more whole milk or no more 2% milk, no more soda. And my sister and I were furious. We started screaming at him like he was taking away our freedom. And I remember being so like lost and confused. I'm like, what am I going to drink? Cause all we <laughs> drank was milk and soda. <laughs> and he wouldn't let us drink diet. Like he's like, no diet is worse for you than regular soda. He would not allow any of us to drink diet soda, even on the property. Like he's so anti diet soda still to this day. Still. Oh, yeah. interesting. And so then my sister and I had to start drinking water. We're like, what the Whoa. hell is this? What's that? What the hell? That's ridiculous. <laughs> and we would like sneak soda into the house so that we could like, <gasps> da, da, da. Yeah, it was just, it was one of those things like, oh, what you can't have, you want even more. And so, yeah, it was oh that sneak hiding all the good shit. <laughs> God, I remember that- Another rule we had in my family that I noticed come up a lot when I was pulling people had to do with vegetables and people had to say it in different ways. 
But um, I have a couple of distinct memories of sitting at my table um, and not, not being allowed to get up until I ate my peas. And oh. I'm super stubborn. And so I would sit there until like nine o'clock at night and be like, you watch me not eat these peas. You watch me, you know, and you have a dog. We did occasionally. I don't, we did. I don't, we didn't when, when I was that young. No. Oh, um, I used to give my veggies to my dog. Yeah. But I wonder what impact that had. I don't know if you guys know this, because I talk about it all the time, but yeah. Um, I did not like vegetables until I was in my forties. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's very, totally that very, very few vegetables that I liked. Um, and I wonder what the impact of that was. So a lot of people, when I pulled them had things like we couldn't have dessert unless we ate our vegetables, mm, yeah. um, that kind of thing. So kind of teaching our kids the exact opposite, what, which of what, what we would have wanted us to learn, right? Which was, Hey, these, these taste good. These are good for you. Eat some. It was like, you better eat these or bad stuff's can happen. You can't have the good stuff unless you do this. You can't have your freedom unless you do this. So it makes you not like them. Yeah. Then I've just had a client very recently who she had this weird fear of fruit. Like she just, she was like, like, I don't know, like where it's come from. So we were on the phone chatting and we got to the root that when she was at school, she had this scary like teacher or headmistress or something that used to like force feed the kids fruit. Like what? they'd have to go and like sit, in, sit in a classroom and like they all had to sit there and eat this fruit and they weren't like it was that thing of you're not allowed to leave until like you you eat this you eat this fruit so she'd kind of in her mind built up this massive then resistance because her association with fruit was this like teacher and also being forced to do something and then not being allowed to go outside and play or go outside and you know leave this room until she'd eaten this the eaten this food. So now we've got us she started, oh my God. started like we've had her introducing like one new bit of fruit each. So for the first week she ate one strawberry a day. And like over kind of the last like couple of months she she's now kind of like um venturing out and trying she's having the whole cornucopia. Yeah she's like yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, it's crazy. So that kind of stuff really does have an impact. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just remembered another another habit from, from childhood. I don't know if you guys do this now or did it growing up, um, but the idea of snacking while cooking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. And I do it now, but I make myself – I only allow myself to eat pickles. Mm-hmm. I used to do that. Love pickles. And they're, yeah. they're really – like, they, you know, they satisfy you in a lot of ways. They crunch the salt and stuff. But my, I, I have this distinct memory of eating. This is disgusting, but they're so good. Um, Mama Rosie's frozen raviolis. <gasps> before we would cook them, like if you eat the outside edge of the frozen ravioli, it's like really good dough, like pasta dough. And I would eat the raw pasta, like because it. I mean, it was kind of cooked, but it was frozen. So you eat wacky. the raw pasta as my mom was like cooking it and then we would end up like eating chips and all these snacks before the meal and then the meal would get there and you know you'd you'd be like oh well I have to eat my meal now even if you weren't hungry and so I think that really played a role in my like prepping my meals now I noticed I catch myself I used to catch myself eating like probably like four to six tablespoons of like hummus and carrots which 
hummus and carrots is good, but it does add up. Mm, and realizing, oh my God, that's such a, it's ruining my appetite. And it's also like, I want to be able to enjoy my meal and not feel stuffed after the first bite. Yeah. Um, so pickles for me have been that like barrier food. Yeah, pickles are like the yeah. best. The other thing is tasting, but tasting like big mouthfuls, so not just going in for like a little going taste, but like, yeah. like literally half the pan in one taste. And it's like, right. that wasn't a taste, that was a meal. Yeah. yeah. Or like chewing gum while you prep is also a good strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to mix that flavor. It's kind of no. gross. So sometimes I'll do that if I'm making baked goods so I don't like eat the whole batter before I cook it. Uh, yeah, that's oh a good God. strategy. <laughs> Molecular. <laughs> Molecular skills. <laughs> I can't think of anything else that happened to me growing up besides the uh, the snacking, the the grazing, and the, the constant like eating out of a container. Did anything else come up for you guys or your clients? No, I was just thinking I did. I do remember somebody, I don't know who it was, saying to me, little pickers wear bigger knickers. Oh, my my gosh. That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. I can't even remember who, I can't even remember who it was. But I, funnily enough, that that thought, because I am a natural, like, um, grazer, I do, I do graze. I kind of always have. That's just the way that I kind of eat. And um, I do remember... I do go through phases of that kind of playing through my head. Like I can't remember who I'd love to remember who it, who it was. And it's kind of an interesting thing because it does make you like stop and think, Hmm, bigger little pickers wear bigger knickers. And it does kind of have a kind of like impact. I obviously did have an impact on me because I'm 41 and I'm still remembering that it was said to me. Yeah. Um, even though I can't remember the source or what I was doing at the, doing at the time. But yeah. Again, it's just that one of those things, what you say to like, your kids and what we were said, what was said to us as children impacts us more than we ever realized. Yeah. I think another one that was said when I pulled my story was no seconds or you weren't, you weren't allowed to have seconds. Either one, one of two ways. You were allowed to have seconds or you weren't. And for those people that weren't allowed to have seconds, they would make their meal, they would fill it up and feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. And for the people that were allowed to have unlimited portions after, they would just keep going, even yeah. if it took them longer to eat. So they wouldn't really feel satisfied ever because they kept adding more food to the plate, adding more food to the plate. Interesting. And me growing up, I was allowed to have seconds always, like seconds, thirds, fourths. Mm-hmm. And that was like portion distortion because you don't really know how much you're eating once uh-huh. you finish the plate, add a little, finish it, add a little, finish it, add a little. So now I try to do like, I just heap it on. I'm like, yeah. if I don't finish it, okay, I can put it back in the fridge. But I'd rather feel like, this is so much food. Yeah. Interesting. Then feeling like, oh, like you put it on the plate and it already feels like it's not enough food. Yeah. Because that feeling of like lack. I don't know. And Sam, you- did you guys eat family style then with like the food on the table and people could like pick what they wanted? Yes. That was a rule. We had to sit at the table and eat dinner together every night. Yeah, we do family dinner. I did family dinner as a kid, and I do family dinner with my family now. We eat together every night, um, and I do put all the food in the middle of the table, and I don't have any rules as far as like what, what you can eat. Um, but I will say I put on the table every night a protein, at least one vegetable, and a fruit, mm. and a couple of nights a week we'll have a carb, like a different, like a non-vegetable or fruit carb. Mm. 
So I know a lot of people are really stuck on like, well, what's your carb side dish? Like people, like my clients who come to me, feel like every meal you have to have like pasta, rice, potato, something like that. And so, and so I don't, we have a fruit, a vegetable, sometimes two vegetables and a protein. And then a couple of times a week, cause you know, like my kids like rolls and they like rice and stuff. So we do that sometimes because, um, I just feel like my family, they're very like carb heavy people anyway. So they like waffles for breakfast and they're getting plenty of carbs. So I figure at dinner, like we're going to shoot for lean protein, vegetables and fruit. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of like them, let them take what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's a good balance. I find I like that. I like eating that way as well. And that's the only kind of recent. I like my lunch is so big. It's got, it probably has a hundred grams of carbs in it. I don't know. And my dinner is pretty small because I don't really do much around dinner time and I don't do much after either. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't really need that much. And I'd rather feel like kind of full and satisfied throughout the day. So my definitely like my meals have shifted since growing up in a family like being around my dad he eats probably six seven times a day Mm. um my mom eats like twice a day so I was kind of somewhere in the middle of that and now I'm trending closer towards like two big meals and maybe like a like a a smaller breakfast and it's I don't know has your meal frequency and meal size changed since growing up all of you guys Mine changes all the time. I change it just because I like to see like, what am I going to do? Like for a while, I tried intermittent fasting. Um, I'm kind of sort of still doing that. Um, I find I'm just not super hungry. And so there's no reason why am I eating at seven o'clock in the morning just because it's breakfast, you know? So I, so I don't. Um, So yeah, I, I kind of change things up and see what seems to be working for me at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, interesting. I think Sarah, you and I were having this conversation the other day because you were asking me about my protocol right now, which I alluded to earlier is seven meals a day, which I condense into six. They're very small meals. You know, I think my next meal is two egg whites and four ounces of potato. So they're not these big, huge meals. Um, and I used to be an intermittent faster too. I probably did intermittent fasting for, gosh, I would say almost six years and it really worked for me. So I would have my last meal around 7.30 or eight at night. It was usually really big because I prefer a big kind of, not like carb heavy, but you know, protein, lots of vegetables, and then a decent size amount of starchy carbs. And I usually worked out later in the day too. So it was kind of like a post-workout meal or like a second post-workout meal. And my first meal of the day would usually be around 11. And I really enjoyed eating that way. And then I would also drink, you know, coffee or tea in the morning. And that would keep me like not hungry, I guess. And I was on my, on my feet working with clients, which helped, but now having to transition to this new protocol, I have to start eating no later than eight o'clock to fit all of my meals in. Cause I still try to do at least 12 hours of intermittent fasting a day. Cause I think that there are benefits to that just for overall health. Um, but it's interesting because now it's like, I wake up in the morning and I am hungry and ready to eat. So it's crazy how quickly your body can adapt to what it does. And that's why I say in my posts often, if you are looking to manage hunger, stick to a normal eating schedule, like whatever that is for you. So maybe it's three meals and one snack, but if you're doing this grazing throughout the day, thinking that it's going to prevent hunger, 
it, I mean, it might because you're always eating, but you are going, you're teaching your body to be hungry at those times. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Cause I've started doing, I started doing intermittent fasting at the beginning of mine and Sam's like fat loss phase. Um, and so I just decided to give it a go. Cause like you came, I just wanted to see what was going to happen. And I, I was kind of a little bit worried about doing it cause, um, I just always thought I had to eat breakfast that I was probably going to like collapse halfway through the morning or whatever. And I had a real aversion to fasted training because I had bad experiences like with an old coach of mine who used to make me do a lot of stuff fasted and it really didn't agree with me. But I was in a very different dieting mindset and phase and the training was very different to what I do now. But actually the intermittent fasting has been working like really well for me and, you know, I probably will continue it beyond the um like the point of when we finish this fat loss because I'm not like hungry particularly in the morning like not unmanageably so and I'm getting more done because I'm not like faffing around eating like so for me it's kind of working really well and training fasted again it's really like I quite like it I seem to be more focused so it's been kind of an interesting experiment that's so fun I'm the total opposite. I wake up like I could eat my arm. I am super ravenous, but maybe because I don't, I eat my last meal at between four and six. Yeah. Mm. It's been like 12, it's been like 14 hours. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm like, four o'clock. That's when I'm like, (laughs) I used to have like my second biggest meal of the day at four o'clock and then dinner like three hours later. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, yeah, I I would like to go back to intermittent fasting at some point, but I don't think it was great for my health. I think for my adrenals and like the stress that I was under, it was just one more stressor to add to my body that kind of mm. threw things off balance. So I don't know if I'll go back to it or maybe like 14 hours, but probably not 16 hours or anything like that. Yeah. No, I'm doing 14, 10. I wouldn't do 16. Yeah, hours, I yeah no, 14, 10 is, I kind of like that for sure. Yeah. 100%. So have you guys but, ever done one full day of fasting? Mm-mm. I, I was going to try so. and do it uh, like maybe once a quarter and I wanted to try. And so I kind of, I didn't purposely do it, but it ended up happening this way that Jeff and I traveled to Boston. I don't remember. Maybe it was in October and it ended up being a 24 hour fast for me. So I remember that you got like salmon and Brussels sprouts when you got, when you landed, didn't you? Oh my gosh. I got salmon and Brussels sprouts from like Applebee's. It was the worst salmon. (laughs) I remember As my dad would say, it was the second worst piece of salmon I've ever had in my life. And I don't eat broccoli. And I, yeah, but, uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, once I got there, I was really hungry, but because I'm, I was traveling and I really had no options because the plane doesn't really feed you and I didn't bring food with me. Um, so it just kind of worked out, but that was my first time doing a full day fast. But I have done them. Um, I have not done them for health reasons. I have not done them for weight loss reasons. I've done them for religious reasons. Fasting Mm -hmm. is a part of my, um, my religion. So the first Sunday of every month we fast and you're supposed to fast two meals. And if you do that a certain way, it actually ends up to be 24 hours. If you stop before dinner the night before, um, and then we give the money we would spend on our food to the poor. 
Um, and so that's so great. Yeah, that's we, so nice. Yeah, so we do that every first Sunday of the month. I really struggle with the actual fasting part of it. I, I struggle with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's supposed to be a time you're supposed to be praying and and stuff that doesn't. I don't have a hard time with that, and I certainly don't have a hard time giving away the money. But actually, giving up the food for that long—that's hard. You'd be like that. I'll pay you and um, I w- still eat the food. Thanks. <laughs> I w- Here's my money. I want my dinner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a couple of months ago, I had two clients who were doing Ramadan and I really, well, one was kind of half-assing it. She had made a lot of excuses, <laughs> but the other one did it to the T and uh, you know, it, it depends on like when the sun sets and when it rises and all yeah, that. So yeah. they would have to get up at three o'clock in the morning, three thirty, eat. She would sometimes go back to sleep, and then they couldn't even have water oh, until the sun went down. So she would try to get her water and food in as soon as the sun went down, and then go and do her workout. And I was like, man, that is, and that was a month, like a wow. month of all of that. Yeah. So that'll know what is what your body's capable of until you have to. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, the whole like fasting thing almost happened unintentionally. Like one day my life was just super full and I didn't eat for like eight hours and I didn't die. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) I can't go that long without eating. I didn't die. But you know, like I I have totally had that fear of hunger or like oh my God, I'm not going to be able to work out because I'm just going to collapse on the floor. Like, no, you're not. You're going to be okay. And that was kind of actually like drilled into me by a past coach. Like, make sure you have 100 grams of carbs before you work out. And which I don't even know where that number came from, you know, but I always feared not being able to like work out or to be able to sustain my life without having food in me. So I think that's where part of my like just in case fear of hunger came from was that like, oh man, I don't know if I can do it. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so to wrap this all up, do you guys have any advice for listeners who might be struggling with these food rules that have been instilled upon them from parents, grandparents, or really whoever it is in their life that was kind of in charge of of their feeding and how they can kind of overcome that and start to create new rules for themselves that serve them better. Um, I would say start with getting very clear on what the rules are that you have going on. So write down everything and anything that comes into your head around meal times so that you can see your thought processes and then identify where they came from and um, so think back to childhood and then look at them and ask them kind of ask yourself are these a true and b are they kind of serving me in what it is that i'm trying to do for my life right now Um, and then from there they can start kind of unpicking and rewriting remembering that food is just food like it shouldn't have loads of rules and regulations etc around it Um, so that would be where I would probably start getting clear on what your actual food rules are and rewrite 
I would say the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing I guess I could add to that, because that's exactly what I would say, um, is to, as you're doing that, to um, not be judgmental of yourself and those thoughts and kind of more be an observer. And so even once you recognize these thoughts, when you have them and you see yourself following one of those old rules, kind of just noting it neutrally like, oh, there's me doing that. That's what, that's what I've done. Um, versus, you know, beating yourself up about it or why do I do this? Or when am I going to get this right? Or that kind of thing, just more like neutrally observing it, um, as you work to change rules that are not serving you. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I think too, maybe in our show notes for the podcast, we can list the food rules that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. People have a checklist to go off of because you don't always like you don't know what you don't know, right? So if yeah. you didn't know that you snacked before, you didn't even realize you snacked before dinner, but we said that, people are like, oh, should I do that? So maybe we can put a list of the the food rules or the things that we've noticed about ourselves, those habits um, in the notes so that people can have something to kind of look at. Yeah. yeah. I would say the biggest thing is ask yourself the things that you're doing, is it out of habit or is it an actual need? Yeah. So- just being more self-aware um will help you change because if you don't even realize you're doing something then how can you change it yeah yeah like it yeah and if you do there is something that you notice is not serving you and or many things even because it sounds like there are quite a few rules that people food rules that people have and and if you want to change those do one thing at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself. If this is like your current way of eating, trying to shift everything at once is going to feel really hard and it's probably going to be unsustainable. So pick the one that, I, I don't know, maybe pick the one first that you feel like you can more easily tackle and give that a shot. And as I was saying with myself, you know, having to adapt to a new eating schedule give your body time to adjust and, you know, give yourself some grace along the way because ingrained behaviors and beliefs, they do take a long time to, to be broken. So, you know, just be patient with yourself, but it can be done. Yeah. Message us too, for everyone listening, like feel free to feel free to DM us or, you know, talk to your friends about it too. Like someone that you trust because. Speak out. Yeah, it can feel like you're alone in that, but really, like we all have had, we've all grown up eating, so that separates no one. Um, and and then you're all gonna have different habits. So at the end of the day, like everyone has struggled with something to do with food at some point in their lives. Uh, so don't ever feel like you're alone in that. You know, trying to change habits because we all do it. Sure. And I know for me, just like one last thing, food for our family was love. You know, like that's yeah. it was. Love connection. It still is like my mom will cook this huge dinner and she'll serve herself this like little tiny bite or this little tiny portion and then try to just force feed everybody else. Like, can I get you this? Do you need more of that? And mm-hmm. sit down herself while she's stuffing, you know, everybody else at the t- table. Um, but like for me growing up, the way that I connected with my dad was over going out to breakfast and him getting donuts and like us getting the kind of, I guess, I don't want to call it forbidden food, but the stuff that we wouldn't have on a daily basis. So I think for a lot of people, food is love, it's connection. And that can be a hard thing to kind of disassociate from, especially when you have, you know, a mother or a grandmother or somebody who is kind of forcing it upon you. And you have that guilt 
around not wanting it or saying no. So I think saying no should be a completely different podcast in itself. Yeah, for sure. But, but yeah, just realize, cause I posted this on my stories the other day, like you are the adult now, uh, for everyone who's listening, I'm sure that they are no longer under the, um, or maybe like living with their family, they can do what they want. So you are in control of making your own choices at this point. Just remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Great conversation, ladies. Thanks, ladies. Thanks. Helpful, you guys. Check out the show notes for all the food rules and see what applies to you. Yeah. You can't see us all dancing right now. We're dancing. We're dancing. (laughs) Shoulder shrug. (laughs) Yeah. Soon we'll be in Boston together. And we'll dance for you all loud and proud. <laughs> all right, you guys. Have right. an awesome rest of the day. Yeah. Bye. 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 All right, that wraps up another episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We know that life is crazy and time is precious, and we really do appreciate you spending your time with us. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, review, and rate it on iTunes. Tag us in your stories on Instagram. Send this to your friends. Please, please, please just tell everyone about it. We are determined to have the biggest and the most inclusive community of women sitting at the picnic table together. We love you, we appreciate you, and we can't wait to hear what you think of this week's episode. Four women, one mission. We are the Decades of Strength. Sam, Marcy, Sarah, and Kim. Catch you right back here for our next episode.